0: Uh, Psalm 34, anyone's favorite? Uh, Have we we not covered someone's favorite yet? If we have covered your favorite, raise your hand. Okay. Alright, so we still got a long way to go. Um, The title for my sermon, The Song of the Saved. This is what the saved sing. Psalm 34. Here's the big idea. Those... Who are rescued by God, align themselves with Him, uh, they give Him their allegiance and call others to do the same. So part of how we convey our gratitude to God for His rescue is we give our lives to Him. We align our lives to Him. We come under His word, we give Him our allegiance and we call others to do the same. All right, so this was probably, man. Eight, nine years ago. So, my cousin, um, it's my wife's cousin, so he's my cousin too, uh, Stuart. Stuart is a fireman. He's now in Arkansas, but he was a fireman in Shreveport for, I have to ask Haley, I think at least six years. And he wasn't even working, he was just driving down the road. This is crazy. Talk about God's providence. He sees a guy, a pedestrian, walking across a busy intersection and gets struck by a car, and the car leaves. And so as a fireman, he's an EMT worker as well, he's the first on the scene, and he notices quickly that this guy is now missing his leg from his knee down, his left leg. It's gone. And so he makes a tourniquet, stops the bleeding, calms him down, saves his life. Uh, They call 911, ambulance gets there, um, the young man is saved. And here's the crazy part. This young man was getting ready to go to med school. And so, you know you might think, what, what, what's appropriate? Thank you for saving my life. But Stuart told me and Haley, this guy followed up again and again and again. Even after I think he finished med school, just saying, man, thank you. Like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Like, and I don't know if he was a believer. Stuart is. Stuart's a very godly man. But I don't know if this young man that he saved was a believer, but he showed his gratitude. He gave thanks. Why? Because he'd been rescued. And who did he thank? He thanked the rescuer. And that's appropriate. If you've been rescued or saved, you thank the rescuer. Now, let's make a distinction here. Um, If I'm about to walk into the lady's restroom because I'm not paying attention, and Donnie Webb says, Chris, what are you doing? Oh, man, I wasn't paying. Thank you. I'm probably not going to thank you again, Donnie. You know, that's enough. Hey, man, thank you. That could have been embarrassing. You saved me from embarrassment. If I'm drowning, or one of my kids is drowning, and someone saves them, dives in, risks their life, it's going to be ongoing. There'll probably be regular letters. So the intensity of the rescue corresponds to the length of the gratitude. Does that make sense? So a, a small uh, rescue, again, rescue me from embarrassment, Donnie. Thanks, man. Uh, you saved my child, his life, uh, I'm going to keep thanking you. Every time I see you, I'm going to embrace you. Now, as Christians, we have been saved from eternal punishment. Therefore, the praise appropriate for us to offer God is eternal in nature, right? Because the rescue is eternal. Therefore, the praise or thanksgiving that we should give should be infinite. Amen? And guess what? By God's grace, we are going to have an eternity to do that. Amen? Amen? <laughs> And honestly, friends, I don't think that will ever become mundane or old. Uh, I think we're just going to be in awe, uh, even more so, hopefully, than we are now, which I know we will be. Let's read Psalm 34, if you've not read it. Uh, it's a Thanksgiving psalm, spoiler alert, that's the type, with some elements of the Torah, or law psalm. There's some wisdom emphasis in verses 11 and 12, I believe, uh, 11 to 14, actually. But let's read the text, Psalm 34, if you got it, Sam, there. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, To cut off the memory of them from the earth, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. the Lord is near to the broken-hearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Praise God for his word. It's the longest psalm we've covered thus far. Just wait till we get to Psalm 119, because we will read it in its entirety. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is a thanksgiving psalm. This psalm is for the saved, those who have been rescued. The background is 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. Uh, in that psalm, David barely escapes. You could say, by the skin of his teeth, he recognizes God as the source of his rescue. and again, what is the appropriate response? Thanksgiving. He thanks God. Well, how should the rescue respond? If you've trusted in Jesus for salvation and turned from your sin, then you've been what? you've been saved, you've been rescued. How should the rescued respond? Well, We know that God rescues us to be in a relationship with him and so that we will align our lives to him. And In Psalm 34, we see what it looks like for the rescued to align their lives to God. I have five points, I believe. I think five. Let me make sure. There could be a sixth. There's five. All right. Number one. The rescued, and we're going to cover big sections because this is a a fairly big psalm. So verses 1 to 7, here's the point. The rescued praise and proclaim the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name Together. And so, just in those first three verses, bless his praise. My soul makes its boast. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Another interesting movement in Psalm 34 there's a a movement from the individual or the personal to the corporate, right? This is what I'm doing. Let's do it together. This is what I'm doing. Let's do it together. All right, verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. What humility. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, the Malak Yahweh, encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. We give God thanks for His rescue. Now, how often should we do this? Again, what's the correlation? The intensity or the severity of the rescue corresponds to the length or duration of the thanksgiving or the praise. Okay, so again, save from embarrassment. Thank you, Donnie. This is not a true story, by the way. I'm just saying it could happen. Uh, Eternal rescue from the wrath of God that we justly deserve deserves eternal praise, eternal thanksgiving. And that's what we see in verse 1. I will bless the Lord, not sometimes, not occasionally, not when I feel like it, but at all times. And then again, His praise shall, underline this, continually. So at all times, and continually be in my mouth. What kind of parallelism is this? The same idea is repeated. Synonymous, right? So, I will bless the Lord at all times. He says it again but differently to emphasize the point. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. An infinite God deserves to be praised eternally. Now what does this look like? What we're going to see in Psalm 34 is that this involves personal praise, corporate praise, and obedience to the Lord. What this involves is personal praise, corporate praise, and obedience to the Lord. So, are you regularly praying? And in your prayers, are you regularly giving thanks to God for his saving work in your life? I'm meeting with a guy for discipleship right now. I'm so encouraged. Uh, He's never been discipled, and we're meeting every week right now. And this past week, we talked about the importance of prayer. And I think he was just struggling with how to kind of structure or format my praying Where do I start? Uh, What should it look like? And so we just talked about ACTS, right? That acronym, A-C-T-S. Start with adoration, then confession, then what's the T? Thanksgiving. And we spent a lot of time talking about Thanksgiving and what we're thankful for and how we can communicate that to God. And then the final S is supplication. Those are your requests. Lord, give me wisdom, give me strength, bless my marriage, uh, praying for your lost neighbor, so on and so forth. But it was sweet. So again, if you are praying... Uh, are, are they me-centered prayers? Are are they prayers? Uh, are their prayers uh, directed to God, giving Him thanks for who He is and what He's done? Um, are you doing this with others? So again, you know, we we pray and praise on our own. There's the personal aspect or the personal piece. But we, why do we gather? We gather to praise and to pray corporately. Amen. And then finally, are you praising God with your life, which is obedience? So again, those are kind of the three emphases in our passage in Psalm 34, the appropriate response to God, how we give thanksgiving, personal, corporate obedience. We talked about this uh, this past Sunday, but we gather because we are called to regularly remember who God is and what he's done, and we see that in Psalm 34. We see it, of course, all over the Bible. Here David gets specific in his praise. This is verses four and six. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Praise God for specific times when he's acted in your life. Maybe he's delivered you from addiction, uh, depression, or deep hurt. And all of us as believers, we come together regularly to praise and thank God for the cross and empty tomb. Amen? This re- and that's really at the heart of why we gather as a church. We gather every Lord's Day to give thanks for the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sinners like us. We're commanded to do this. Hopefully we find joy in doing this, and hopefully we don't neglect this. Um, this further involves testimony telling. In a sense, David's giving his testimony. God saved me from all my fears. I cried out for help, and God heard me, and he saved me. I want to make a distinction, though, because a lot of us were trained to believe that by giving our testimony, we were evangelizing, and those are not always the same, right? Man, I was like this bad person, and I was caught up in drugs, and then Jesus saved me. It was sweet, bro, but the gospel wasn't heard in that, right? I mean, what I told kids when I did evangelism training at our church in Washington. For our youth, if you're going to tell your story, make sure you tell how your story intersects with his story, or better, how his story intersects with your story. Because his story, Jesus' story, and evangelism must be heard. And what is his story? He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. And he rose again to save sinners like us. And that is my hope. That is my salvation. Amen? Next, we must acknowledge God's grace. These are kind of sub-points. David doesn't take credit for his deliverance. He gives who the glory? He gives God the glory. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. David acknowledges God as the subject of his saving. The Lord has done it. All right, now point number two. And this is verses eight to 10. So first point was verses one to seven. Now we're verses eight to 10. Number two, the rescued are satisfied in the Lord. What's point number one? The rescued praise and proclaim the Lord, verses one to seven. Number two, the rescued are satisfied in the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. And we've We've seen that verb already. They lack nothing. Where do we see that? We've seen it twice now. I guess three times. But the first was Psalm 3, and then Psalm, put a two in front of that. Psalm 23, (laughs) yeah, gave it to you. Verse 10, uh, I meant to read verse 10 as well. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack what? No good thing. All right, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is, is good. I'm doing a, a Bible study with uh, five youngins. So it's my two boys and now four other boys. So there's six of us, now seven of us, including me. And we're going through the I Am Sayings every other Wednesday at one of those tables. And tonight we looked at John 10, 11, where Jesus says, I am the what shepherd? I am the, I'm the good shepherd. And that's an important adjective. He could have said, I'm the shepherd, but he says, I am the, I'm the good shepherd. And I asked the kids... What makes Jesus good? Why is he a good shepherd? And it was so encouraging hearing their answers. Because he's with us. Because he loves us. Because he died for us. Because he's God. And these are five to nine-year-olds. And I was like, man, you guys should come help me teach. All right. Um, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you done this? Have you done this? Are you satisfied in him? Maybe the better question is, how do we taste the Lord? That sounds strange. A lot of disciples left Jesus in John 6 because of that, right? Drink my blood, eat my flesh. Well, what are you talking about? Many left. That's the end of John 6. Very long chapter in John, John's Gospel. Here, taste and see. Taste the Lord. How do we do that? Where do we go to taste the Lord? Yeah, your prayer, but also your, your time in the Word. So let's go to Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Oh, whose words? His words. And they're sweet words, right? Sweeter than honey. And then John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Not going to thirst. So we taste him through regular exposure to his to his word, right? And by taking Jesus into our lives by faith, we continue to savor the Lord by reading his word. So if you want to taste the Lord and savor the Lord and enjoy the Lord, you need to beware in the word. Again, tonight we talked about with the kiddos in John chapter 10, uh, how you know Jesus is the good shepherd. Of course, he lays down his life for the sheep. But then we talked about the sheep and the sheep know his what? They know his voice. They follow him and they know his voice. That's verse 27, I believe. Guys, how do we grow in learning, discerning, recognizing the voice of our king? You've got to spend time with him. You've got to hear it, right? I mean, the more I get to know somebody, the quicker I can... Oh, that's... I know who that... That's my mom. That's probably the best example. But that's, that's Robert Adams. He's got that deep voice, kind of like... Um, what's the cowboy... Does the Dodge Ram. Sam Elliott. You kind of got that Sam Elliott voice, right? Nobody? I'm sorry. Okay. Let's keep going. All right. The point is this. If we want to be more intimately aware, familiar with the voice of our king, we got to spend more time with him, and we hear his voice through his what? Through his word. All right. Could have made that a much faster point. Lo siento. Um, We do this on our own. And we do it with, we do it with others, amen? So we, we read and study on our own, but we also do it when we gather with God's people. We taste him, again, through regular exposure to his word. Um, I love what Derek Kidner, Derek Kidner is a great commentator. Um, he's written on uh, Proverbs and Psalms. He writes, the, the NT writers, the New Testament writers, urge that the tasting should be more, than a casual sampling. And I wonder if many of us have settled for just a casual sampling of His Word, of His voice, instead of just digging in, diving in, feasting on His voice, on His Word. That takes time, but I promise you, it's time well spent. Amen? Okay. Again, who can say, oh, the Lord is good. I've tasted and I've seen if you're only in the Word once a week or once every other week, and it's just a snippet or a verse here and there. I mean, to really know how good he is, to really taste him and savor him and enjoy him, you need to be here regularly. Amen? Intentionally. All right. Um, As we see with the next line from verse 8, those who taste and see that the Lord is good are those who take refuge in him. In him, in the Lord, they find their security, their satisfaction. They find meaning, the deep satisfaction of the soul. Uh, The word that probably encapsulates that is shalom. Have you anchored your life to the Lord? He doesn't stop there, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who are aligned with the Lord lack nothing. They need nothing, for in them, I'm sorry, for in him, they, we have what? We have everything, amen. If we have Him, we can say, "I have everything I need. I'm satisfied. I don't need Christ." Plus, if I have Christ, I'm satisfied. Is that you? Who, I mean, who, in the New Testament, who do you think about? I mean, besides Jesus, Paul, right? I mean, Paul in prison, writing in Philippians. What does he say? I, I've learned the secret of contentment. You know, I, I mean. If I have nothing, if I have everything, it doesn't matter because I have Christ. And again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not, that's not the message, by the way. I'm just saying that is Paul's point. Paul is saying if I have Jesus, I have everything that I need in him. And that's why he goes on to say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Chaser. We've talked about this verb. It's the same verb that we just saw in verse ten of Psalm thirty-four. It means right to lack or need. But if you have the Lord, you lack nothing because you have all that you need in Him. The Lord provides for our needs, and He's met our most significant need, which is what forgiveness in a relationship with Him. Those who have no lack are those who fear the Lord and seek Him. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? This has been a big theme in Exodus. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Means to, what's that, Mom? To be in awe of Him, to revere Him, right? Because of who He is and what He's done. The fear of the Lord is to have a right view of or attitude towards God as both Creator and Savior. And then you have a right view of yourself as the creation, right? As one who is desperate for salvation. It's much like the Beatitude: blessed are the poor in spirit, right? You realize only in Christ can you be made rich. You're spiritually bankrupt. He's everything. He's all that I need. To fear the Lord is to be in awe of Him. It's that sense of awe and wonder in response to the unmatched beauty, power, majesty, and glory of God. Those who align with the Lord are those who have tasted His goodness and are forever satisfied in Him. This is a huge point. Is this true of you today? Can you t- today, can you say... Yeah, I, I'm satisfied in the Lord. Or do you feel like your life is wanting right now? No, I, I I'm grasping. I, I feel like there's a, a void. I need something else. I'm, you know, that Rolling Stone songs. I, I can't get no satisfaction. Is that you, or can you truly say no? Because I have Jesus, I have everything. I mentioned my friend Tim Walton, the pastor who mentored me, just a dear brother. He said, you know, knowing that we have Jesus, knowing that we're forgiven. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Anything else that you have in life besides that is just, it's just extra, right? I mean, if if you've had your greatest need met, which is forgiveness from a holy and just God through trusting in Jesus, his son, you should be totally and completely satisfied. Amen. So is that you mean, can you truly say, yeah, I'm satisfied. Life might not be perfect right now. It, It shouldn't be, honestly. Um, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're sick, maybe you're jobless, maybe you're, your marriage is struggling, but you can say, you know what, I, I have Jesus, I have his forgiveness, I have a relationship with God, I, I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied. Number three, this is verses 11 to 14, let's keep moving, and this is good, okay, so the rescued teach others. The rescued teach others. Verses 11 to 14, come, O children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Having been rescued by God, David has aligned himself with the Almighty and now instructs others in the way of the Lord. And this should be the church today. Right? I mean, This is what we do. This is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness or thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Again, this was the norm for the early church, namely God's people teaching one another the truths of God, the word of God. What is the content of David's teaching? So again, as one who's been saved, part of that appropriate response, it's not just the personal thanks or the personal praise, but it's the corporate. He's inviting others. He's teaching others who God is and what he's done. What's the content of David's teaching? Here we have our our wisdom element. So I mentioned this is a Thanksgiving psalm primarily with elements of a wisdom or Torah psalm. Come, O children, verse 11, listen to me, I will teach you the... The fear of the Lord. I'm going to teach you to fear the Lord. I mean, that, you know, what, is, what does that mean? David teaches his listeners the beginning of wisdom, which is what? What is the beginning of wisdom? It's to fear the Lord. What is meant in verse 11 when David says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord? How do we instill this, the fear of God, in others? Not what your parents meant when you were being disciplined, maybe, you know. I'm going to teach you the fear of God. That's not at all what we're meaning here, right? That's, that's that fear and trembling. You, you, you fear judgment. Um, John Bunyan, in his treatise on the fear of God, says, now I think I've shared this before, but he says, at, at conversion, conversion necessitates that fear, that fear of God's judgment. We need to be afraid of God's judgment at conversion, realizing who we are outside of Christ, right? And that's the Spirit. The Spirit makes us aware of our what? inability, our lostness, our helplessness, our hopelessness. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God, to quote Edwards. But then once you trust in Jesus and you realize you're justified by faith in Christ, do you still tremble that way? Do you still see yourself as an object of God's wrath? No. Now you fear the Lord. You revere him. You respect him. You come under his word. Amen? You no longer fear his judgment because Christ bore that for us, but you still fear him. But now the fear means what? Reverence, awe, wonder at who God is and what he's done. So how do we instill that in others? Where do we take them to find that? Where do we show them that? I would argue that this involves helping others to submit to the the word of God. Who wants to grow in the fear of God? Then we should come under the, the word of God. The word of God. If you were going to define this, this process, what it involves, instilling this fear in God's people, what it looks like, I kind of highlight three things here. Submission, awe, and idol smashing. <laughs> Getting rid of idols in your life. In order to help God's people do that, to prioritize Christ, to submit to Christ, to be in awe of Christ, we need to be in the Word of God with the people of Christ. Amen? Amen. But that involves time, doesn't it? Are you willing to spend that time with God's people? If you're going to teach somebody, if you're going to disciple somebody, what does that require? It's time. But it's time well spent, amen? And we're called to do that. Um, David further unpacks what actively fearing the Lord looks like in verses 13 and 14. This is what it looks like to fear the Lord. Again, this is the appropriate response to God's rescue. Personal praise, corporate praise, and obedience to the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Those who fear the Lord live lives that honor Him and teach others to do the same. Amen? Those who fear the Lord seek to live lives that honor Him and they want to teach others to do the same. So the question is right now, who are you investing in spiritually? Who are you discipling in or being discipled by? Again, this involves more than just discipleship and instruction, but accountability and even correction. We who have been rescued have, I would say, both the immense privilege and responsibility of helping others to follow Jesus through teaching, accountability, and correction. I love Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So again, the rescued give individual praise and call for corporate praise. Daniel, join me. Let's praise him together. (laughs) So not only does David personally praise the Lord, but again, he calls others to do the same. He invites others to, to join in. That's the movement. There's this beautiful movement, this rhythm in Psalm 34 from personal praise to corporate praise. Personal praise to corporate praise. Verse one, here's an example. Verse one, I, who David, I will bless the Lord at all times. Verse 3: Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Like join me. Let's go together and praise him. Let us exalt his name together. Let us, church, help one another focus on Christ, his beautiful character, his worth, through together coming to his what? Coming to his word. Coming to his word. Um, Number four. This is verses 13 to 14 and verse five. The rescued are transformed to live differently. The rescued are transformed to live differently. Verse five, those who look to him are the radiant Their faces shall never be ashamed. And then verses 13 and 14, we just read this, but what does David say? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What does it mean that those who look to him are radiant? Radiant, Nahor, that's the word, Nahor, is found in Isaiah. And here's the context. It's Isaiah 60, verse 5. It describes a mother's face lighting up when she finds her child that she thought was lost for good. (gasps) Isn't that a wonderful image? One thinks of Moses' face, his radiant face, as a result of being in the presence of the Lord. That's Exodus 34. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul, again, he's definitely looking back to Exodus 34, Exodus is is huge in the background, 2 Corinthians. Anyways, uh, in Exodus 3.18, Paul uses this same image to describe the Christian his being transformed from one degree of glory to another, more and more in the image of Christ. Let me quote Kidner one more time. He says, Radiance is delight, but also glory, a transformation of the whole person. When we look to the Lord, trusting in him for rescue, we are transformed by the glory and majesty of God. Again, the good news of the gospel is not just forgiveness, but transformation. If you read Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25, there's the promise that God will cleanse His people from all their uncleannesses, from all their idols. He's going to wash them clean with water. Okay, That's the image of forgiveness. But then in verse 26, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'm going to take out your hard, stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you from the inside out. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to transform you. Amen? What should mark those who have experienced God's rescue, His presence, those who have now aligned their lives with the Lord? Again, verses 13 and 14. This is how the rescued live. This is the obedience. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David is teaching others what is true of him. Those who have aligned themselves with the Lord don't speak dishonestly. They turn from evil and they do what is right and pleasing to God. They are peacemakers and not... troublemakers. (laughs) Those who have aligned with the Lord live differently. They live a life of praise to God. Simply put, this is a life of obedience to the Word of God. That is how the rescued live. We praise God, we praise Him with others, and we, we obey Him. And that's how we give Him thanks. We praise Him on our own, we praise Him with the body, and we obey Him. That is how we give Him thanks. We praise him on our own, we praise him with the body, and we obey him, and that is how we give him, that's how we give him thanks. That's how the rescued live. We don't live this way begrudgingly, like my son Luke sometimes, and I guess all my kids, right? Do I have to? And I always say, come on guys, do this with a happy heart, right? As Christians, we follow the Lord joyfully. We obey him joyfully because we have been saved from everlasting destruction. It is our response of gratitude to God for all He's done. The last point is this. Number five. The rescued recount and trust the promises of God. Isn't it important that we review these things? Again, why do we gather? To remember, to review the gospel. I mean, have I shared this story? I remember I was preaching through Mark's gospel to a youth group. Probably took a year to do that, maybe longer. And this one kid had the audacity. He goes, man, it seemed like all we were talking about is the gospel in our youth group. All we talk about is faith in Jesus and repentance. I said, that's all? That That's all? And I headbutted him. I'm just kidding. No, I didn't. I, I was I was sad. I was like, listen, man, we need to be reminded of this good news every single week, who Jesus is and what he's done. Amen? We need to review it. And so again, number five, the rescued recount and they trust the promises of God. All right, this is, man, this is my favorite part of the the whole Psalm, 34, verses 15 to 22. You ready? 15 to 22, let's go. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Again, this is such an important point. David spends a great deal, I mean, that's what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verses recounting God's promises. He rejoices in these promises and he calls others to do the same, right? That's the movement. Here's what I'm doing. Join me so that we can do it together. God's plan has always been a body, a people, amen? He saves individuals to be a part of a, a body, a body that is marked by continuous praise and thanksgiving. Good. All right, I want to answer two questions. Number one, how might we summarize these promises? How might we summarize verses 15 and 22, and then what do these promises teach us about God? So four things here, quickly. Verses 15 and 17, here's how you can summarize. Verses 15 and 17, the Lord Hears and responds to the cries of his people. That's the summary. What does that teach us about God? God is compassionate. He's compassionate. Ah, I don't got time. Ah, I'm not listening. No, he hears and responds to the cries of his people. Amen? He's compassionate. That's the first thing. Number two, verse 16 and verse 21. Those who oppose God will be judged. That's a good reminder. Those who oppose God, are they going to last? Are they going to endure? No. Those who oppose God will be judged. Evil will be put down. All the rebels will be thrown down forever. Amen? God is just. God is just. Number three, the Lord is with his people. Verse 18. Okay, so again, verses 15 and 17, the Lord hears and responds to the cries of his people. God is compassionate the first thing. Verses 16 and 21, those who oppose God will be judged. God is just. That's the second thing. Number three, verse 18, the Lord is with his people. God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent everywhere. He's with us. You can just say, God is with us. He's present with his people. Amen? He's with us. And then finally, verses 19 and 22, the Lord delivers and vindicates his people. God is gracious and faithful to save. God is gracious and faithful to save. Here's the practice step. Here's the application here. Spend time on your own and with God's people recounting the promises of God and then teasing out what those promises teach us about God's character. Amen? That is a great use of our time. That is why we gather. We gather to hear God's promises And to tease out what God's word teaches us about God, his character. What kind of God is he? What have we learned in Exodus so far? He's faithful to keep his promises. He saves. He's gracious. He's mighty. He's glorious. He's worthy. Amen? Where do we learn those things about God? In his. And we need to recount those things often. We need to review those things often. Is it true? All right. And how should we respond when we recount his promises and behold his character that he's awesome and worthy, we should we should praise him and give him give him thanks, give him thanks. This is pretty cool. Listen to how those who are aligned with the Lord are described in Psalm 34. These are the rescued, these are the saved. Listen how they're described in Psalm 34. Verse 2, the humble. Verse 7 those who fear Him. Verse 9, His saints. Verse 10, those who seek the Lord. Verse 11, O children. Verse 15, the righteous. Verse 18, the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Again, the humbled. Verse 22, His servants and those who take refuge in Him. This is who we are in the Lord. Amen? May this psalm inform and transform the way you see yourself, your identity, your self-worth. The last question, and then we'll pray. How does Psalm 34 point to Christ in the gospel? First, in Jesus, and I think I wrote these down for you. I didn't want to give any more blanks to fill in. In Jesus, the teacher par excellence has come. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. Number two, those who look to Christ are transformed to live differently because, again, the gospel provides both forgiveness and transformation. One day you're just going to say it. The gospel provides both forgiveness and transformation because those who look to him are they're radiant. They're transformed. Again, um, I forgot who said it. Um, I know Piper has said it. I don't think it originated with John Piper. But we behold... To become, We behold Christ and the Word of God to become more like Christ. Amen? Those who look to Christ are transformed to live differently. Number three, Jesus is the righteous sufferer vindicated by the Father. I mean, this psalm points to Jesus who suffered, the righteous sufferer who was vindicated by the Father. How is Christ vindicated? Where did Christ suffer? Cross and then he was vindicated by his resurrection, amen. His resurrection, and again, do we suffer now? Yes, but will we too be raised? Yes, we look forward to resurrection life too, amen. Yeah, I do. Then, lastly, those who call out in faith to Christ for forgiveness will be saved. It's verses four and six. I did have a, I'm sorry. So, for the first one, in Jesus, right, the teacher par excellence has come, right? David teaches God's people, but who is the ultimate teacher par excellence? Jesus. That's verses 11 to 14. Those who look to Christ are transformed to live differently. That's verses 5 and 13 to 14. Jesus is the righteous sufferer vindicated by the Father, verses 19 and 20. And those who call out in faith to Christ for forgiveness will be saved, verses 4 and 6. Now, This is a rather long psalm. So, how might we prayerfully apply it? Um, Rather than trying to pray through this entire psalm, I want us to look at a few verses and prayerfully apply those verses. Okay, So again, I'm going to do verse 1, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 11, verses 13 to 14. So verse 1, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That is an example of what kind of parallelism? Synonymous. Good. Here's the prayer Father, you are worthy of my forever praise for your eternal. Help me to praise you individually and corporately with your people. May my life bring you praise always. Verse 6 This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Here's the prayer. Lord, in my brokenness and desperation, I called out to you for mercy and forgiveness. You heard and you answered. In Christ, I am saved. I am forgiven. You have rescued me from the greatest plight, eternal separation from you due to my sin. Continue to lead me not into temptation and to deliver me from evil. Verse eight: Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Here's the prayer. None can satisfy like you, O God. You provide true and lasting satisfaction for my soul. Help me to daily enjoy sweet fellowship with you through prayer and time in your word. May my hunger for you surpass my hunger for all other things. Use me to invite others to taste your goodness and to take refuge in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no... They have no lack. Here's the prayer. Father, there is none like you. In you I have all that I need. Help me to be on guard against all misplacement. Help me to keep you on the throne of my heart at all times. For you alone are worthy. I thank you that in you I have no lack. You are my everything. And provide me with everything that I need. Verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here's the prayer. Father, Help me to faithfully teach your people your word. Give me the grace and the strength to teach others, my wife, my children, and your people, the great truths of your word. Use me to fix the eyes of your people on your unmatched glory and goodness. And then finally, verses 13 and 14, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And the final part of this prayer, Father, help me to daily turn from evil and to turn to you. May my words and actions be in keeping with your word. Help me to help others do the same, even when it's hard. And all God's people said, amen, amen.